This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You're listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Your hosts today are me, Rebecca Daly, and Anna Thompson. Before we get started, we wanted to share about an upcoming event happening tonight. Tonight is the New Memphis Alumni Holiday Party. So if you are a New Memphis alumni, that includes LDI, Fellows, Embark, Stride, Accelerate, please check your emails and join us tonight to celebrate the season. Today we are bringing in our guests from Memphis-based Ducks Unlimited, Inc. and Wetlands America Trust, who have partnered with their counterparts in Canada and Mexico to launch the Conservation for a Continent, Our Wetlands, Our Legacy. The initiative will have the coalition working together to secure at least $3 billion, with a B, dollars by 2026 through an international fundraising campaign, the result of which will fund conservation and restoration projects for wetlands throughout North America. That's the entire continent of North America, just yeah, so we're clear. Just kind of a big deal. Yeah. We're excited to bring Chuck Smith to the studio, who is the president of Ducks Unlimited, as well as Karen Waldrop, who serves as the chief conservation officer for Ducks Unlimited, Inc., and operates as a strategic leader as a member of the DU executive leadership team. Let's bring in our guests to discuss conservation and Memphis's integral role in this national effort. Good morning, Chuck and Karen. How are y'all today? Doing great. Good, thanks. Good. Uh, so we wanted to get started by having each of you share a little bit about yourselves. So Chuck, you can get us started. Are you a native Memphian? Absolutely. Uh, grew up in Memphis. Uh, been here forever. Uh, I was currently uh, serve as, as uh, president of Ducks Unlimited, which is headquartered in Memphis. Ducks Unlimited moved to Memphis some 30 years ago. Prior to that, it was headquartered in the Chicago area and uh uh, was looking for a new home, and uh, great Memphian Billy Donovan, whom you may be familiar with, uh, stepped forward. And Billy was a great Memphis guy, a Memphis fan, and a great Duck guy, and he loved both Memphis and Ducks Unlimited and arranged for Ducks Unlimited to build their headquarters uh, out at the Agri Center, which is a beautiful facility. I think we're going on 32 years now from having been out there. And I've been involved as a volunteer with Ducks Unlimited for some time, uh, started back in the back in the whenever, you know, long time ago <laughs> and uh uh served in a lot of different volunteer positions as state chairman and i was on their board for a while and then recently was elected as uh secretary about six years ago i think and then uh was elected president at, at the uh convention uh, last year in new orleans got a lot going on before <laughs> yeah. we dive in to meet our next guest could you give us an overview of ducks unlimited what your mission is sure uh, Ducks Unlimited uh, conserves and maintains wetlands. Uh, this mission statement reads to fill the skies with waterfowl today and forever. And in so doing, uh, we raise money through a lot of different events around the country, some 4,400 events nationwide each year. And with the funds raised through those events, we uh, uh, maintain and restore wetlands, not only in this country, but in Canada as well, across the North American continent. Uh, last year, Ducks Unlimited, right, uh, best year ever, we raised about $350 million 
through those events, through development, through government agencies, and so on, for a total revenue of $350 million. And with that money, we conserved over 600,000 acres of prime wetland habitat for waterfowl uh, and other uh, uh, benefits as well, which Karen will get into. Yeah. Uh, so we've been in the wetlands business for 87 years, started in 1937. And uh, it's been a fabulous success story, and uh, uh, the the support we get not only from uh, the waterfowling community, but but from other people as well. For example, uh, who doesn't like clean water and flood mitigation and nutrient removals and all the the science that tells us today the value of wetlands far beyond uh, waterfowl production. So we Karen can get into that later on and tell you uh, exactly what that's all about. But it's a great new revenue stream for us, agencies, uh, foundations, corporations looking for for way to to uh, support conservation, and wetlands is a great way that we're doing that. Awesome. It's already been so informative. We're only like a few minutes in, so this is great. So, Karen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, so, I'm our Chief Conservation Officer for Ducks Unlimited. I've been with DU for about four years now. I actually just had my four-year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, it has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, so, before I worked at Ducks Unlimited, I was in Kentucky and worked for Fish and Wildlife in, in the state of Kentucky. And uh, while I was there, I loved being a public servant. I absolutely loved what I was doing. But I, I, I've always, you know, I've been working with Ducks Unlimited my entire career um, and in, in different, in different uh, positions. And I love the mission of Ducks Unlimited that you just heard from Chuck. And I really wanted to have the opportunity to work on landscape-level conservation. And what better place to do that than with Ducks Unlimited? And so um, I took a, a leap of faith and and left um, uh, the government agency world and, and moved into Ducks Unlimited. And it has been an extremely rewarding experience. And so I moved my family here, and we absolutely love it here in Memphis. And um, the, the mission and the vision of Ducks Unlimited that you, just, that you just heard from Chuck. Well, we welcome you. Absolutely. But I am personally curious, how did Ducks Unlimited wind up in Memphis? We tend to think of this as an urban environment. How are we protecting wetlands here? Well, our national headquarters is here, and we've got, I'm saying, 300 people under roof mm -hmm. in Memphis, uh, 500 total employees. We have offices across the country in in uh, uh, waterfowl habitat areas, not only in, in the north and the prairie pothole region, Canada and the northern states, but also offices in wintering habitat across the south, office in Jackson, Mississippi, and and uh Great Lakes and so on. So we've got total about 550 employees, of which 300 uh, do reside here in Memphis. Employees including uh, engineers and biologists and a lot of really smart people who understand the science of waterfowl and Karen's the best we have being a PhD. She runs a whole department. She can tell you a lot about it. Uh, but we wound up in Memphis quite simply because of Billy Donovan, who I mentioned earlier, uh, was a big supporter of Ducks Unlimited when they're in Chicago, and obviously a big supporter of all things Memphis. If if you see his support in our community has been fantastic uh, over the years, and he learned that Ducks Unlimited was looking to relocate their headquarters. Now there are other cities in contention at the time. One was Golden, Colorado, as Pete Coors was president of Ducks Unlimited at the time, and Pete Coors had an interest in having them in Golden, Colorado. Uh, I think Kansas City may have been involved as well, but Billy found out that they were looking, and we had a 
a uh, event in Memphis, and the CEO of Ducks Unlimited was in town for that. And Billy approached him and said, uh, "If you will bring Ducks Unlimited to Memphis and have your headquarters here, uh, I'll give you a million dollars." And he said, "Okay." And <laughs> Billy said, that. "Okay." And they shook hands, and that was it. I mean, there, there was no legal document. There was no contract. There was no lease. There was no nothing. It was simply a handshake agreement, and it happened. And if you visit our headquarters at the Agri Center, which I hope you will, uh, you're invited any time, uh, his portrait, Billy's portrait, hangs in the lobby. And uh, it's just been a wonderful deal. And Billy's continued to support of Ducks Unlimited ever since they did come to Memphis. And uh, uh, he, he was uh, truly a great friend of ours for many years. What does it mean for Memphis to to be at the heart of this work? Well, I think Ducks Unlimited, unfortunately, is a great, well-kept secret in Memphis. I think people don't realize that we have a $300 million company right here in our midst with 300 employees who go to that building every day and work. Uh, we didn't have many stay-at-home COVID days. We reported to the office every day. And uh, I, part of my role as president and being a native Memphian, having been here my whole life, is to increase the awareness within the Memphis community of what Ducks Unlimited does and the fact that, that we are here. And we bring a lot of families into town. Karen's a great example. Uh, others uh, come to town uh, to work for Ducks Unlimited. And we do a lot of business in Ducks Unlimited with, with uh, you know, being a big corporation with the connections that we have within the community. And uh, uh, it's been wonderful for us. So um, as you've already mentioned, a huge part of the mission of Ducks Unlimited is conservation. So I'm curious, this can be either to you, Chuck, or to you, Karen. Um, what is the difference between conservation and preservation? Sure. So simply the terms conservation is more of a wise use and preservation is more of a no use, right? So, okay. you know, you can conserve and preserve different things. So we conserve wetlands. So a lot of it, the wetlands, we believe in wise use. So we work with a lot of ranchers and farmers and public and private to get our work done and delivered on the ground. So we work with state and federal agencies, but also private landowners. A lot of them are farmers and ranchers up in the Prairie Pothole region, but all throughout the country, as is, uh, Chuck mentioned to us earlier, and they have other things that they're using that land for. Mm -hmm. So we work with them in the best ways to conserve those wetlands in a landscape where they're maybe using it for ranching or farming or, or other activities as well. So this is a term we've used a lot and I've heard it a lot, but I'm not honestly entirely sure what it means. What is a wetland? <laughs> so, yeah, so <laughs> there's all sorts of different wetlands, which is why it can be confusing and people will call them marshes and bogs and there's different forms. There's tidal wetlands, freshwater wetlands, ones that have salinity, salt water. So there's there's lots of different types and forms that wetlands come in. There's also seasonal wetlands and and um, permanent wetlands. So I can see why you're confused, but <laughs> there's, a the lot, simplest, there's a lot of options. <laughs> there's a lot of options, but in simplest terms, it's it's a it's an area that is is covered. The soil is covered by water, at least saturated or completely covered by water, and it's and it's recognized by different plants that might be. So there's different soils and different plants that you find in wetland communities that define a wetland, right? So there, you've got, um, you know, as far as, uh, again, with freshwater and saltwater, you're going to have different plants and, and um, soil types with those. But that's, that's the main distinction for a wetland. 
Now, I will say that wetlands are among the most diverse and productive ecosystems on the planet, right? Corals and there's coral reefs and things like that, but they are one of the most diverse as far as having lots of biodiversity, diversity of plants, diversity of soils, diversity of wildlife, fish, insects, as well as being extremely productive as well. Um, And so Chuck mentioned it earlier as far as all the benefits of wetlands. Of course, Ducks Unlimited, you know, a lot of our supporters are really interested in the habitat work we do because it benefits waterfowl, right? Right. right? And, and whether it's in the breeding grounds, whether it's in the wintering grounds or in migration areas as well. But there's so many people that don't realize the benefits of wetlands either directly or indirectly for them. So directly from a recreational standpoint, whether you like to bird watch, canoeing, kayaking, hiking, hunting, whatever it might be, but also indirectly, clean soil. I mean, clean water. So, for example, uh, a lot of runoff goes into wetlands, and it it traps all pollutants. Um, you know, all sorts of uh, runoff from agriculture or runoff from cities and towns, and it's captured there, and it filters it out. So, I don't know if you've ever heard of wetlands being known as nature's kidneys, right? But it filters out all of these pollutants. And provides clean water. So it traps those, instead of running off into a stream or a river, it's trapped in the wetland and filters it out. Also from flood flood attenuation. Wetlands also, we call them sponges or tubs. So you have a huge rainfall event and a wetland will, just because of the types of soil and everything, will hold all that water and then slowly release it over time after the rainfall event. So it can really be helpful from a flood attenuation standpoint as well. Or coastal. We do a lot of coastal wetland work where we're building up those coastlands, where we're, we're the coastland where we're putting in, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the best ways to describe it, but we're putting in these barriers that are growing land behind them and building up those marshes, which provides great habitat. But what does it also do from big storm events? It keeps flooding from those, those towns and those communities along those uh, coastlands too. So there was a long definition for you for what's a wetland. <laughs> no, it's very it's, helpful. It, it feels like now I have like 20 more questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to also note that so much of the work that you do is not just doing the conservation work. It's educating people on, on that. Um, I know I've seen some interesting and um, just really ex- great explanations of wetlands um, on some signage at Shelby Farms Park um, mm-hmm. up at Hyde Lake. There's a great real-time uh, you know, sign there that explains what's going on with the water there. And I think it's great for kids. It's great for the community. And, and what other types of education work do you do? That's obviously a more passive partnership for education there. But are there programs that you do within the community? We absolutely have a lot of education programs. And mm-hmm. Chuck, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about some of those, but also um, when talking about the signage, Shelby Farms, maybe uh, DU Park as well. But Right. So so uh, uh, one project that we've been involved with that's coming on stream right now, which I think is fascinating, is there's a track of land not far from where we're sitting right now, bordered on the east by the Mississippi River, what's left of it anyway. Uh, bordered on the west by the Mississippi River levee, okay, and on the north by I-40 bridge across the river, Mm -hmm. and on the south by the I-55 bridge across the river. And that little roughly rectangle contained within those parameters is about 1,500 acres. 
And Ducks Unlimited is restoring and maintaining that the way it was hundreds of years ago. It's going to be called Ducks Unlimited Park, and it ties in directly with the Great River Crossing. You know, when you walk across the river, when you step off that ridge, you're on Ducks Unlimited Park. And uh, it's going to be used for for uh, hiking and bicycling and jogging. There's some trails out there already. There's going to be some educational features within the park that's going to explain to people, you know, what you're looking at. And, and uh, as you know, the river someday maybe will get back up high again and will flood all that. And it could be six or eight or ten feet underwater, which is okay. And then the river goes back down, and, and then you've got more nutrients provided for, for more restoration there. So, uh, And it's not going to do any damage to the asphalt jogging pass, so all that's fine. It's, it's a real exciting project for the whole community uh, that we think is going to be a, a great boon for, for the community. And again, as I said before, building awareness of Ducks Unlimited and being a good corporate citizen and doing what we do. Now, we've had lots of partners uh, in that project. Uh, just as Karen has lots of partners that contribute to all the coastal restoration work and so on that she's doing in Louisiana and other places. Uh, First Horizon Bank right here in town has been a great partner and supporter of that project. And uh, uh, so we're real pleased to have them help us with that. And And one other initiative I'll tell you about, uh, talking about flood mitigation, uh, there's something called the Mississippi River Cities and Towns Initiative, and it's based on about 300 cities, maybe, uh, up and down the Mississippi River. You want to talk yep. about that? Uh, no, that's fine. And yeah, there's 100 mayors that are part of the Mississippi River Cities Towns Initiative, and Ducks Unlimited is a is a partner with those mayors. And some of the things that we talked about from, um, you know, flood mitigation and everything else, that's a, that's a big issue up and down the Mississippi River. Um, a lot of wetlands have been, you know, kind of they're now disjunct from, from the river, and so... When water comes down, we're trying to reconnect some of those those wetlands so that they can serve in that way that I was telling you serve as a yeah. as a reservoir when those heavy events come. And it's it has been proven to work. We've we've already had some of our projects along the Mississippi River be used um, as soon as they're finished to help capture uh, some of this flood water and and to help you know decrease the flood events downstream. So our mayor, uh, Mayor Strickland, was the first mayor of that, and, and still is chairman of that initiative. And uh, he's been a great partner in working with us on that. So Karen has lots and lots of projects lined up up and down the river. She's just as light on funding right now, but that's okay. We're working, <laughs> We're working hard on, on it. <laughs> and and because we do, we have a lot of funding that comes from federal and state partners, and that's how. We write a lot of grants and work with a lot of partners to help deliver it. And we can't do it without without the people that own the land. So it could be private landowners, but it also can be, you know, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has a lot of refuge land that we work on, as well as state fish and wildlife agencies. Um, and you were talking some about what are some of the more active education things that we do. We have a podcast as well, um, a DU podcast where, where it's, you know, we change the topic all the time to be very informative and we try to see what people are interested in and we'll we'll have those different topics and so all of those are great from an education standpoint. But I really think our banquets and our event system is a great way for that we educate people about Ducks Unlimited because a lot of people will come, go with a friend, get invited to a local, you know, DU event and while they're there, they either through talking to other people, through different things. We might have somebody present during an event um, or different signage and things, and they really learn about the mission of Ducks Unlimited. A lot of people are like, 
oh, well, it's just a hunting organization or it's just this or they have great clothes or something, but they don't realize the <laughs> conservation mission behind it. And I think going to those events and, and getting involved that way um, is a great educational tool. And we also have a lot of uh, college and university chapters, Ducks Unlimited chapters. We've got, uh, gosh, how many? Maybe, oh, I know in the high school level, we've got several hundred at different high schools, including in Memphis uh, and all across the the uh, across the country, a lot of high school chapters and college and university chapters, too. And they learn about conservation and wetlands and so on. Plus, they have a good time, too, putting on those events that Karen referred to earlier. <laughs> You mentioned that there are more than 300 people uh, employed here in Memphis at, at your organization. What types of jobs go into the conservation realm? It's it's not just biology. No, it's not. It's So that's really interesting. I kind of always like, well, we're really like a bioengineering company. I have almost just as many engineers, engineer techs, uh, surveyors on staff as I do biologists and, and scientists. So um, just in conservation, there's a wide, you know, array of, of jobs and things like that, the people that we're looking for. And those college chapters have been a great recruiting tool for us because we also, of course, we have people, regional directors, we have um, directors of development that do a lot of fundraising. We have to have all the people to host all the events. Um, we have a lot of staff here in in Memphis that are either, you know, our HR department, we need, uh, we have GIS specialists, we have accountants. I mean, there's, I'm not even sure how many different positions we probably <laughs> have, but, um, you know, if, if Ducks Unlimited is a place that somebody wants to work, I bet you, you've got a skill that's, that can be used by Ducks Unlimited. So it's, um, it's a great place to work because you have all of these different skills and all these different backgrounds of people um, coming together for, for one mission. It's pretty incredible. It's a, a lot of collaboration and I think a demystifies a little bit of the assumptions that come in, in the realm of conservation. I think people probably have a stereotype in their head of what it means to work in wildlife conservation. Yeah. Um, and I think helping understand that there's a lot more that goes into it than just the folks who are doing the boots on the ground biology work. That's right. Yeah, we have, I guess, you know, about Half of the staff at Ducks Unlimited are in conservation and the rest are doing, like I said, either some of the fundraising or communications and um, our IT department, right? Cannot go very far. You can see with all this equipment sitting on this table today, you're not getting very far without your IT department. Absolutely. So there's a lot that goes into conservation. Are there any misconceptions about what conservation looks like? Sure. Um yeah, I, I definitely think people, you know, because of the type of work that we do, and this is just speaking from Ducks Unlimited, that, you know, how are you doing the conservation work, right? What does it mean to conserve and, and protect wetlands? A lot of what we do is through easements. Again, we work with, we can't, I always say conservation's a team sport. Nobody can do it alone, right? So we have a lot of partners either working on their land or that help to fund it, private and public funders. Um, but then, you know, we work a lot with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to get easements, get talk to landowners and have them sign their land up in easements, conservation easements, that they can still use the land, but it then protects it permanently from, from development. And so we can have these wetlands um, on the landscape. You know, in the United States, we've lost over 50% of our wetlands. Um, that's not good, right? When, when you have that, you have all sorts of other issues. These are really important ecosystems to have. And so... 
I think people in these landscapes recognize that and they want to do what they can to help. And so being able to talk to people and work through those misconceptions of what that might mean is really important. But then we're also having to restore a lot of wetlands and that's where our engineers come in and that's where a lot of the partners and their very complex projects that take years to develop, take years to fund and take years to implement. And so it's not something that happens overnight. And so it is, a, it's a, it is, um, it is definitely a marathon and not a sprint. Um, and I think people don't understand that, that what it takes to actually turn a landscape around and have it function properly in a watershed and with, with wetlands and these complex, um, these complex ecosystems. So I think that, that that's something that people don't understand. What is the greatest risk to wetlands right now? You mentioned that we've, you know, lost so yeah. many nationally. Sure. I'm curious, like, what is the... Yeah. Well, wetlands degradation, right, can be one. So what I said about them being able to filter out pollutants and everything, well, sometimes you get too many of those pollutants, too much of that runoff, and you have wetland degradation. So that's where we do a lot of restoration of wetlands. But also, um, of course, development, right? Um, that's that's a we have more people in this country, and where are they going to go? Um, so development is is obviously an issue, but then so is conversion um, from from wetlands to to uh, cropland. Um, that's why it's so important, especially in the Prairie Pothole region, which is our duck factory. So we've mentioned it several times, and I guess for those that that don't understand, um, as far as waterfowl being a migratory species, and why we have to work in you know, all across all of North America uh, is because up in the Prairie Pothole region, up in Canada and the U.S., so that's uh, in the U.S., it'll be parts of Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, all that's in the Prairie Pothole region. And we've lost a lot of wetlands there, and that's where wetland, that's where waterfowl um, nest and, and reproduce. And so, um, and then, of course, they come down south into Warmer climates. Into warmer climates in the winter, and then they go back. And it's amazing how they can they migrate every year. It's, it's, there's a, there's a, sh a movie, actually, that we're, an IMAX movie that we're part of. Mm. It's called Wings Over Water. Oh, cool. And I would like to make a plug for that. I yeah. should have thought about that earlier. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure as far as what IMAX theaters are close to here, but you can look at wingsoverwater.com. It's, uh, I think it's currently showing at what I call the Pink Palace because I'm old. Yes. They call, they call it Mosh now. Yes. Okay. So it's showing it there, and it's it's a fabulous, it's great for for kids, too, to take them in there and, and teach them about wetlands and, and how they were created, you know, a long time ago. Uh, it, it's a fascinating movie. There, there, there are no... Uh, ducks being shot. There's no dogs picking up dead birds nope. or anything. It's it's very family friendly, and uh, so I recommend that. Wings over uh, water. The, the other thing that uh, Ducks Unlimited on Karen mentioned conservation easements earlier. We hold a lot of conservation easements where property is protected in perpetuity. I believe now it's a little over five hundred thousand acres uh, that we hold the easements on, and uh, some are donated, some we purchase, but all are for the benefit of of uh, waterfowl and result in in wetlands that allow us to to do the work that we need to do uh the other problem with wetlands in case you had noticed we've been in a drought for the last several years uh across the country uh, in our area too california's terrible uh and and that's that's an issue had it not been for ducks unlimited and the work that that we do within those regions to try to maintain what little water there is uh it would be a real serious issue so I think you bring up a good point with that, mm. that we were actually, and I'm not sure if you mentioned this and when we were talking about Ducks Unlimited, but founded in 1937 
and it was during the Dust Bowl era, right? And waterfowl populations were plummeting. It was it was dry as dry can be, <laughs> and that's actually how Ducks Unlimited and why Ducks Unlimited was formed. There was a, a group of uh, forward-looking conservationists that said we need to do something, and, and that's how it started. So we do find ourselves in a drought right now, um, and it, the conditions, while have improved a little bit, um, still up in the prairies, there's a serious drought right now, and um, something, California was another mm-hmm. area that's in severe drought, so that's can't do anything about that, but what we can do is make sure that the wetlands are there when the water returns. And the drought has had an impact on on uh, production hatches over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Karen said, it's it's better now, but there's still we're still feeling the impact from two years ago. Yeah, we are. And um, I think you were asking also uh, as far as oh, in wings over water, and I was talking about working with farmers and ranchers, and yeah. it tells a great story or several stories of farmers and ranchers that are working their their land differently to ensure that wetlands are part of it and part of that landscape and they can still farm they can still ranch but and that's and that's the great collaboration and partnership that conservation can bring because everybody everybody benefits um, and everybody's working together to make these things happen and, and that's what the great partnerships are about so speaking of great partners, um, back in August of this year, it was announced that Ducks Unlimited um, has launched a $3 billion fundraising goal for the North American wetland conservation efforts. This is a huge deal. A big project. <laughs> I know you're laughing. You're like, yeah, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> um, but can you tell us a little bit more about the reasoning behind this project, the partners at play? What was the initial... Well, the three billion dollar goal B with billion with a B. Yeah, B. <laughs> uh, we're well on the way uh, to achieving that goal. As I stated earlier, last year we raised about three hundred and fifty million dollars. Uh, we're roughly two thirds towards the completion of the three billion dollar goal. So we still have work to do. Uh, we need to raise more than three hundred million if we're going to make our deadline and make the three billion dollar goal, which we are uh, confident that that will happen. We've got a lot of partners now that traditionally Ducks Unlimited did not have in the early days. And I'm speaking of, uh, as Karen alluded to, Ducks Unlimited was founded uh, by hunters, by people that love ducks and love waterfowl. And they said, we're in the dust bowl, we've got to do something. So that's how the whole uh, uh, organization was started. But today we're getting a lot of support, not only from hunters, and we never back away from hunters. Hunters are our core supporters, our core group. They brought us to the dance. That's always, will always be about hunting. Uh, but in addition to that, other organizations are seeing the value of the wetlands that Karen articulated on so, so nicely. Uh, foundations, corporations, et cetera, looking for ways to partner up with somebody that, that has a proven track record. And today, I'm proud to say we have those people coming to us and asking us, what can you do for conservation? We do a lot of work in Minnesota, for example. Our headquarters are there. We'd like to see our name on a sign on a project that, that uh, we've done, but we don't know how to do it. We know Ducks Unlimited does it. Ducks Unlimited has people on the ground that do the projects. We actually move dirt. We have scientists, engineers, biologists, uh, full-time on, on our staff who do that work and and foundations uh, want to get involved in that. We've got lots and lots of very good, solid foundation partners uh, who support our efforts, not only in this country, but in uh, Canada as well. So this project um, encompasses all of North America, correct? It does. Yep, Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. And we do have a DU Mexico and a DU Canada. 
uh, that's, and those are our partners. And we did. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, NALCA? Explain that what that is. Sure. Yeah. So um, North American Wetlands Conservation Act. Um, it was in 1984, and so actually 1987. But um, it was it's a it's a funding base that really is in the early days, especially is responsible for all of the um, the the wetlands conservation work that we were able to do. So it's a the model is based on the North American Wetlands uh, North American Waterfowl Management Plan or NAWAMP, we call it, and that is you know and it's the first one was in 1984. And it was showing what needs to be done in order to help waterfowl populations and to help wetlands and habitat. And so it needed funding. And so along came NACA, which provides millions of dollars every year. And Ducks Unlimited writes grants in order to secure some of those dollars. And then we implement those on the ground um, throughout, you know, Canada, U.S. and Mexico in our critical areas. So even though we work all across North America, it's, you know, we have, if you go to our website, you'll be able to see those areas that we work in specifically because they're tied to wetlands. So some of the areas of a state, you know, we're not going to work in because there's not a lot of wetlands. So if you look at that, and, and it's our guiding document, the NAWAMP is, that helps us determine where we're going to work. And so these these NACA dollars are extremely important um, for this. Something else that's important that people can help with, if somebody wants to help with wetlands and wetlands conservation, um, is to buy a duck stamp. Uh, duck stamps, right? It's it, it's their hunters have to buy them in order to hunt, but anyone can buy one. People love collecting them. There's a you know duck stamp collectors all over the place that uh, that absolutely love the artwork on these duck stamps. But those ninety eight cents of every dollar goes right back into um, purchasing conservation easements or protection that go into the um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service refuge system, and that's permanent protection of of wetlands and uh, and, suge- and uh, other associated habitats as well. So that's another way that people really can help out with with waterfowl and wetlands conservation. And those uh, NALCA grants that you write uh, require a match, correct? They do. They require a one to one, at least a one to one match. So for every federal dollar, we have to have at least a non-federal, non-state government dollar. And those funds come from? Those funds come from our donors. Those funds come from um, people that attend our our um, events. They come from people online buying their uh, annual membership to Ducks Unlimited, major donors, mm-hmm. corporations, foundations. And for anyone interested in, in learning more about how to support you, what's you, where can they find you online? Um, ducks.org. That's pretty easy. I know, it's, right? We make it simple. <laughs> I, I'm curious about what does a healthy waterfowl population look like? And I'm also curious if we have an understanding of how many birds migrate through the greater Memphis area. Yeah, as far as the <laughs> birds that migrate through the greater Memphis area, so there are four flyways. In the United States, and we are in the Mississippi Flyway, and we're actually in the heart of the Mississippi Flyway. So, flying over West Tennessee and in Arkansas, it's a major flyway for waterfowl—not just waterfowl, but other birds as well. So, it's actually it's a very important area. Now, while Tennessee has a small chunk of that, right, because the the shape of the state, 
this whole, the Mississippi alluvial valley and that whole area is extremely important for, for waterfowl. And, um, you know, and healthy populations. So different waterfowl species need, they, they, you, some of them breed in the boreal forest. Some of them breed in the, in the prairie. Some of them need taller grass, shorter grass, right? So they all have their own niche. So there are certain waterfowl populations and species that do, are doing better than others. Um, because of the type of habitat that they either, you know, breed in or their 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 flyway and, and where they're found. So whether in the western part of the country, the eastern part, and which flyway. So it, it definitely varies based on that. And then, of course, the condition of the wetlands um, for the breeding grounds is, is extremely important as well. So it, it definitely varies. You mentioned um, kind of in tandem what I knew previously kind of growing up about Ducks Unlimited was kind of focused on hunters and fishers and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what role do hunters play in conservation? Huh. That's a great question. And they play an extremely important role in conservation. I like to say that that hunters pay for conservation. Hunters and anglers pay for conservation because of the model that we have in, in the United States um, that hunters have to purchase a license uh, if they want to hunt any any species or fish, right? Waterfowl included. Um, and then those dollars are, there's a, there's a fund called Pittman-Robertson. Um, Pittman-Robertson Fund, it was established in 1937. And it's an excise tax. It's placed on hunting equipment, um, guns and arrows and bows and ammunition. And then... There's an ex- so there's an excise tax, so when you go and purchase some of this equipment, that money then goes and is distributed back out to the states, the state fish and wildlife agencies, to use that for conservation efforts, for habitat work, for conservation efforts. And it, the formula is based on how many hunters you have in the state and the, the land-based size of your state. And then that money is then used um, and matched with the dollars that hunters, because it's a 75-25, so for every 75 cents, you have to have 25 cents by a non-federal dollar. And so state agencies use their hunters' um, license dollars to match that and put conservation on the ground. So hunters pay, play a very important role. If for waterfowl, buying a duck stamp, what I was talking about, all of those dollars going into um, habitat protection in the prairie pothole region and other areas to, um, to move into the refuge system or just permanent protection in, in other ways as well. And... But other people can help too, because again, you can you can buy a duck stamp, and that helps. Um, a lot of state agencies are are wanting there are other people that are, care about habitat and conservation than just hunters, and they're coming up with programs to help welcome these people. Because if you don't hunt, it's you don't want to buy a hunting license simply because the way that it's set up, then we're counting that person as a hunter when they're really, they're not. And that's the way the distribution of those PR funds I was telling you about, but they come up with programs that allow other people to be part of the conservation efforts as well. So really it is uh, the hunting community, sporting community that does support conservation through Pittman Robertson for buying sporting equipment. Uh, and you know, birders and canoers, we love them, but birders don't pay a, that excise tax and canoers don't and so on. So, so there's a new acronym going around now called HATS, H-A-T-S. That's who supports, uh, conservation. You don't know about this, do you? Okay. I'll tell you. <laughs> it stands for hunters, anglers, trappers, and sportsmen. 
H-A-T-S. And that's who supports conservation, not only through the Pittman-Robertson, through buying the duck stamp, through buying the, the state hunting license, uh, through contributions to uh, conservation agencies such as Ducks Unlimited, uh, all that supports uh, conservation. So if someone's not a hunter but wants to support wetlands and the work that Ducks Unlimited does, just join Ducks Unlimited. Uh, they got a great magazine uh, that comes out, and I think it would be very enjoyable for someone who may not be uh, a duck hunter or an outdoorsman to receive that magazine and look at it. We also have a sister organization called Wetlands America Trust. Now, this is a foundation uh, that owns all those conservation easements we talked about earlier, some 500,000 acres made up of maybe 400 uh, different tracks, maybe not that many. But the Wetlands America Trust owns those uh, conservation easements and monitors them to ensure that they're in compliance with the terms of the agreement that they agreed to early on, like you can't... uh, build a golf course or a casino on a conservation easement that's supposed to be uh, for habitat, and they're monitored. And uh, uh, so that's uh, another organization that's that's uh, part of Ducks Unlimited. Uh, that's also an organization that is approaching these foundations I talked about earlier and, and corporations saying, uh, here, here are the benefits of work that we do. And uh, I brought a magazine to show you that illustrate a lot of those uh, projects uh, they don't talk about hunting and don't talk about uh, birds, but talk about clean water and, and nutrient removal and carbon sequestration and all that that's so important today that there is more awareness of now than there has been before. And it just so happens the work that we do, Karen and her team, the work that they do fits in exactly with what people are looking for now. So that's why we're having people come to us and saying, what can you do to help us with this? What does success look like in your work? Well, we have a business plan. <laughs> we have a strategic plan, and it calls for this year, well, not this year, the next year, raising $500 million. We did 315 last year, conserving 750,000 acres every year. We conserved 615,000 acres last year. Uh, 750,000 members, I think. We're at about 675,000 members now. Uh COVID hurt us, okay, because of the events, 4,400 events we had all got canceled overnight because we yeah. could not gather. Yeah. We couldn't buy raffle tickets and bid on art and buy duck print to hide under the bed so your wife won't see it. <laughs> uh, so we were hurt with that, with membership, and and uh, but it's coming back now. It's coming back, so success is quarter of a million members, quarter of a million acres conserved every year, $500 million in revenue income. Now, those are the statistics those are the numbers that's that's success and that's in our strategic plan uh success to us and to karen's team looks like more acres conserved more wetlands more birds there, there's a survey that's flown every year between and i defer to you fish and wildlife in our country and the in equivalent canada. in canada and they fly every uh spring counting ponds i've just exceeded my level of expertise will you take it from there <laughs> <laughs> they also do estimates as far as looking at populations of these different waterfowl species that I was talking about. So it tells us how, you know, it's it's the longest term um, data set that's collected in the wildlife conservation community since 1954. So except for uh, the two years of COVID when they couldn't fly. But outside of that, um, this data set that lets us look at long term populations of different waterfowl species across the breeding grounds up in Canada and the United States and up in Alaska as well in the boreal. 
So uh, it's it's an extremely uh, important survey, and that goes to some of your questions as far as waterfowl populations, like how do we know how they're doing, and and that's how it's done. But as far as success on that standpoint, it's you know it's part of our vision statements, filling the skies with waterfowl today, tomorrow, and forever. And by doing that, we're going to have healthy wetland ecosystems that are going to provide all these other benefits that we've been talking about, and it's going to provide those those uh, habitats for waterfowl species that we absolutely love, and everyone loves them for different reasons. They are just amazing, majestic birds, and you know, waking up in the morning and going out into a wetland and sitting there and watching these birds come in on a on a cold morning in December, January. It's just magical to watch the the wetlands wake up. And um, anyone that hasn't done it, whether you're a hunter or not, I recommend that you do it. And you're in a perfect place of the of the world in order sure. to find yourself a a nice wetland or a bottomland hardwood and and watch and watch a wetland wake up. And it's it's pretty magical. Those birds are magical. They'll pick up in Canada after breeding, and they'll fly two thousand miles to exactly the same pothole they left in Mississippi or in Arkansas or in Louisiana. Uh, and we have scientific data that shows you know, you'll band a bird in a location in Arkansas, and they even do radio transmitters too, where they can track it to to Manitoba, Saskatchewan, wherever it's going uh, in the summertime, and then he'll come right back to the same place he same left place. before. How do they do that? I don't know. Go ahead, tell them how they do that, Karen. <laughs> yeah, you're up, Karen. <laughs> it, it it's pretty incredible how they do it. It really is. But flying that survey is how they determine the seasons are set, how many days you can hunt, what the bag limit is, oh. how many number of birds and species you can hunt. Before they had that, back in the 50s, you know, the limit was, you know, 25 or whatever it was. Just uh, some or, arbitrary number. Yeah, and, and <laughs> before that, there were no limits at all. But today, with that scientific information, they can they can tell what, what hunters can be reasonable in harvesting and not have an impact on, on the on the flight at all uh it's it's uh it's amazing and i mentioned the drought earlier and it did have an impact on our populations and that shows in the most recent survey that uh uh we, we were down on several species mm-hmm. can you tell them about how the seasons are set in the pond count and so sure. on yeah and and so this really is is an important part of it because i should say that all the conservation work that we do um conservation work and you know, state and federal agencies, it's based on science, and it really needs to be, and this is a perfect example of how science is used. And so um, it, it's it's really the responsibility, because they're a migratory species, it's the responsibility of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to set those seasons. They do it in coordination. Again, I mentioned those four flyways, so they do it in coordination with the state agencies in each of those states. So there are these flyway councils. Um, so the Mississippi Flyway Council I served on Oh gosh, for about 13, 14 years in my previous role. And so um, the the recommendations come from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and then the state agencies then work in their states with their, their uh, either the legislators or their commissions or however they write their regulations for each year. And they can be more restrictive than the federal um, recommendations, but they can't be less restrictive. So if the bag limit, you know, for a certain species is four, then they can they can make it three or two if they want, but they can't make it five or six, so they can't be less restrictive. Um, and so it's kind of a it's a coordination between federal and state agencies in order to set those seasons. Ducks Unlimited does not have a role in 
in setting the seasons, but um, obviously our role is more on the habitat and conservation side. But we do participate in these um, different tech sections and things like that that work towards um, those Flyway Council recommendations as well. Right. So if, if the science shows a particular species, pintail, for example, which is a sore subject for us, uh, are in danger. Uh, the population is down. It hasn't rebounded due to the drought and other factors, as have other species, and they reduce the limit. Now, I believe it's down to one pintail per day. It is. Uh, mallards, you can kill four per day. Or you, you harvest four per day. Uh, but pintails are only one, and it barely missed being clo- a closed season on pintails with the last survey. So the point is, the sportsmen are the first ones to step up and say, look, if, if pintails are in danger, uh, then we're not going to shoot any pintails. So just, just tell us what the right thing to do is. And, and they may not like it, but they certainly understand and they're in compliance. And they realize that science is what uh, determines what how many days we get to hunt and how many birds we can shoot and what species and so on. So it's, it's, it's all based on science. That is actually a question I had um, to follow up with like, kind of a maybe a misconception is that how is hunting conserving and if the you know you mentioned the vision statement is to fill the skies that's a very tangible way to know that your wetlands are you know having that they're thriving Mm -hmm. so i think it's a misconception to say well if you're out there hunting aren't you taking birds out of the sky Sure. So question. No, absolutely. No, it's a, it's a valid question. And so, again, those seasons are set so that to ensure that doesn't happen. So, right. Okay. I'm trying not to put on my white lab coat here and get all like, you know, technical <laughs> terms, but there's, there's a difference between compensatory and additive mortality as far as in hunting. And, and so, with waterfowl hunting, you're get, birds are going to be lost for lots of different reasons, mm-hmm. whether it's predators, whether it's they don't have the food source, whether, you know, whatever kinds of Any conditions, right? They're going to yeah. have, they just, they don't survive, right, um, for various reasons. And so the way the hunting seasons are set up, it's set up to not be additive. So these, this is going to be birds that would not have made it into the next year anyway because of these other factors. So it's limiting that mortality to where it's not going to be an additive, additive mortality. So, And that's very important um, to bring up because it's, again, the science of how these seasons are set. So we ensure that does not happen. So I've, I've heard people say just what you're saying. Well, if you shoot a bird, that's one less bird and so on. So I think Karen ex- explained it uh, very well. Uh, and I believe, and I stand to be corrected by my associate, of course, uh, hunters harvest what percent of, of the birds? Less than 10, way less than 10%. Yes. 1%? Yeah, it, okay. it's it's very few. So it's, again, it's not going to be an an, an additive, additive. More, right, I feel like y'all have been population. saying it. I just wanted to directly ask so that yeah. you had the opportunity, no, yeah, to absolutely just kind of squash that one, squash and, that misconception. And, you know, and the other thing, yes, while it is a it it is a consumptive use, right? As far as hunters, uh, people that that don't hunt, I I want them to you know at least think about having all of these people out there that care about the habitat and the and the sport of hunting. Is, is again, when we talk about that hunters and sportsmen are conservationists and that's what they do, it's, it's, I think it's very, very important to understand that connection that, that hunters have and anglers have to nature um, and to the natural world. And they love these, these places and these habitats and the wildlife um, and love to view it as well. So while it is a consumptive use, I think it's, it's important to also show the other side of, of that and the passion for conservation that hunters have. 
So it's funny that you mentioned that. So I mentioned before we got on the mics that um, my dad was an avid outdoorsman and angler, and he insisted upon getting all his grandchildren the lifetime hunting and fishing license <laughs> before they were two in the state of Tennessee. And um, he passed before he was able to do that for my daughter. And mm-hmm. so we did it in his honor. And the note that we inscribed on it was that um, that he loved his grandchildren even more than he loved the outdoors, which was saying something. So to that point, it mm-hmm. was, you know, that these people who are out in the duck blinds or wherever they are, they they care about all of this just as much That's right. as anybody else. That's right. Yeah. yeah and, and you mentioned the connection that you can feel with a space and a place and the animals within it. Um, and, and, you know, where can people go in Memphis to build those connections, to have those experiences with wetlands and wildlife? Sure. There are lots of, and you can go on the Tennessee State Agency, their um, their website, but there are lots of what they call wildlife management areas um, all throughout the area. In fact, there's some right outside of Collierville that, that I go to um, quite often, uh, but there are also uh, um, refuges and other things in the area. Boy, there's, there's, there's also some state parks right here, just mm-hmm. north of Memphis, really all around Memphis, um, and that you can get on their website uh, for state parks and for the Tennessee um, Game and Fish Department and look at those as well. There's several in Arkansas, too, just right across the river. Uh, Wapanaka Wildlife Refuge is, is 45-minute drive from Memphis. It's fascinating. And I should add, if you purchase a um, a duck stamp, which you can get a lots of, you can buy them online, you can go to a post office, they're in a lots of um, um, uh, different, uh, like Bass Pro Shops sporting and places like stores. sporting goods yeah. stores, big and small will have them. But if you purchase one of those, they're $25, it will also serve as a pass for a wildlife, uh, National Fish and Wildlife Refuge as well. So if there is a charge to get on there, it serves as your entry pass. So you don't have to pay. Oh, cool. Double duty. I know. That's right. (laughs) What makes you excited about this next year and the work that's coming up? Mm. Well, I think just growing on the success uh, that we've enjoyed over the last couple of years, uh, both in the revenue department uh, and in the uh, uh, acres conserved department, we have a great team uh, at Ducks Unlimited. We've got a great CEO, Adam Putnam, uh, is really uh, done a fantastic job in organizing the troops and building on on uh, what we've done. Uh, it's exciting to me to go after uh, these foundations that have an interest in conservation and the environment but have never been supporters of Ducks Unlimited before. If we can get in the door and talk to them and make our presentation and show them our coffee table book, we've got a book, too, called... Uh, a lead a legacy uh, and and a great movie that explains all of what we do, starting with coastal restoration in Louisiana, where they're losing the coastline, work in California, uh, work in the boreal forest in Canada, uh, the low country in South Carolina, all the things that we're doing. Uh, it, it's just fascinating to me. And, and if you can get in and tell that story, uh, we've got a great chance to have a partner with them. And we need them to supply the matching funds that Karen referred to that we need for the grants from from the NALCA groups and from other groups that do require a, a match. So We are in very exciting times for conservation. I think there's more money now for conservation than ever has been in this country, or at least in a very long time. And what's exciting, I think, for me is being able to to take advantage of that now. And we've got, as you mentioned, Chuck, an amazing team, very talented team of 
whether it's on our event side or our development, you know, fundraisers or our conservation staff, um, everybody is pulling together in the same direction. And we're seeing a lot of the work that we've been putting in, a lot of the science, a lot of the research is now paying off and we're getting to deliver all of this on the ground. And we are changing landscapes and we are, we're changing lives, we're changing habitat um, and we're making it a better place. And I think it's, it's very exciting for, for all conservationists um, in this country and to be able to be part of it is, is, uh, is wonderful. And amazing. It's just a great new awareness in this country today, as Karen said, about caring about things that, that we've cared about forever. Now, all of a sudden, we're trendy and people are coming <laughs> to us and wanting us to do work for them. And uh, we're happy to let them stand in line. We'll get to them as soon as we can. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but y'all been after it for, for many, many decades. Exactly. But I can definitely, I can sense the passion in both of you. And it mm-hmm. does feel like a really exciting time, like you said, in conservation. And to for it to be kind of Memphis at the hub of all of that is really, really exciting as a Memphian. Well, as a Memphian as well, uh, I agree. We wouldn't be here if not for Billy Donovan, but we're here and we've thrived here. We have no plans on going anywhere else. And uh, you're invited to come out to our building, take the tour. Uh, It's a gorgeous building. I have taken the tour before. Yes. Okay. It is. I can co-sign that. And we'd love to have all of your listeners as members of Ducks Unlimited. It's um and and volunteers and come to one of our events. But you know, you can get on our, our website on ducks.org and you can find all sorts of events in your area um here in Memphis. And uh it's it's a lot of fun. It's a it's a great um uh, it's also just it's just getting to meet different people and coming to those types of events. You might make uh, some new lifelong friends as well. So what is it you said earlier? Leading the legacy? <laughs> Lead a legacy. Lead a legacy. Yes, yes. I love Lead it. Lead a legacy. That's your challenge, listener. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for joining us. It was wonderful. Independent Bank is celebrating 25 years of sharing your stories, building your dreams, and serving you heroically. Find out how iBank can help you achieve your financial dreams at i-bankonline.com. Member FDIC.